number 66 of Media Camp is here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Really, really excited for this one. As a podcaster, I'm so excited to talk to people who also run a podcast, especially people like my next guest. Some people call him the podcast guy. Others know him for doing eight to nine podcast interviews in a day. I had a pleasure to interview James Carberry, who has built a whole company just by producing podcasts for B2B brands. He's He has one of the top B2B podcasts uh, with 3.5 million downloads and over 1,600 episodes called B2B Growth. We are doing a deep, like really deep dive into the world of podcasting. How do you produce it at scale, get guests? How do you position it, grow your audience, repurpose content on LinkedIn? What interview structure is real effective? And I think James has a genius approach that I'm gonna steal almost certainly and use for my own interviews. How do you make sure your guest is legit and knows their stuff before you hit record? So all those practical things that you actually start to wonder when you are doing podcasts, James is telling all of it in a lot, a lot, a lot more. Really amazing episode. Here's James. All right, I'm here with James Carberry. James, thanks for coming. I'm really excited to be here, man. Thank you so much for asking. I think you, in one of your interviews, you mentioned that you started asking funny questions uh, to spice up the show a little bit. And yep. I was like, there was a period of time in my podcast where I started with a question, if there was a world apocalypse today, what would you do? <laughs> and I thought it was a funny one, but then I, I was like, well, some guests were totally like, oh, I don't know what to say. So I had to change that. Yeah, we, we like to ask ones like, um, what was the first concert you went to? What was your instant messenger screen name on AOL when you were growing up? What'd you eat for breakfast this morning? Stuff that's like super easy to answer, but it's really light and it helps get the conversation off to a fun start. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, especially with, uh, with your volume of interviews, you, you gotta, you gotta find an effective way, right? Yeah. Right. It's uh, we're, we're doing a lot of them these days. So, uh, if we can figure out how to inject some fun into every one of them, I think we're doing something right. Totally, totally. Uh, let's start with this one. I'd be curious to know what you're gonna say. What are some of the, like, what is the one thing that you wish people asked you on one of the interviews, but they never do? Oh man, I wish people would ask me more about how we're winning on LinkedIn because we are, we are getting, we've really empowered a lot of different people on our team at this point to create content in such a way that actually gets, you know, really massive reach. And, uh, and so I don't, I don't get asked about that a whole lot. And I think it would be really valuable if somebody did. Well, I feel, I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm probably stealing some of your approaches. Here. <laughs> 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 but I'm sure, but we'll, we'll talk about it, but uh, so let's, let's talk about LinkedIn. Let's dive into LinkedIn because I, I know you've been, you post a lot there. I post there quite a bit too. Um, so let's say you obviously start with creating a show, you have a podcast, you would do it for B2B brands, you have a pillar, long form type of content. Uh, and then what would you do after you have an interview uh, to reuse that on LinkedIn? Yeah, so there are a lot of different things you can do. I think the lowest hanging fruit is probably micro videos. So we use a tool called veed.io. It's V-E-E-D.io. And you can basically have, have somebody from your team, or you can do this, go through, mm -hmm. listen to the interview and find clips that are between 20 seconds and two minutes that were compelling and, and really helpful pieces of content. Uh, and go and load those clips into Veed and it will auto transcribe the captions. You can put a nice little frame around that video and those videos do really, really well on LinkedIn. One little hack for figuring out like how 
if you want to guarantee that there's going to be a good meaty piece of content in a particular episode, you can ask a question like this. You can say, hey, so-and-so, um, what is a commonly held belief around your expertise that you just passionately disagree with? And a, asking a question like that will get them speaking from a place of passion and it'll get them saying something that's different than what everybody else is saying because they're basically refuting mm -hmm. a commonly held belief. Another thing you can ask is like, Hey, so-and-so, what should people in your space uh, start doing today that they're probably not doing right now? And, or, or you could ask a similar one, what should they stop doing that they probably are doing that they shouldn't be? And those types of questions get people saying things that are not just the standard same old, same old. Like if we've done, you know, 1600 interviews on B2B growth. Yeah. And if I hear one more person talk about how sales and marketing needs to align, uh, it's, <laughs> It's like, come on, man. Like we we've heard that now we got to go, we got to go deeper. We got to start trying to figure out how do we extract differentiated points of view right. from our guests. And, uh, and I, and I think questions like that also set up your team to be able to repurpose content really well. Cause it's like, Hey, just go to the part of the interview where I ask these questions yeah. and take their response to those questions and turn it into micro videos for LinkedIn. The other thing you can do is LinkedIn slide decks. So we have our design team that does, uh, turns a lot of our interviews into slide decks. If you go to my LinkedIn profile and just go over mm -hmm. to documents, you can see all the ones we've done in the past. We've done, uh, we've done one on Maya Grossman. We've done one on Dylan Hay. We've done one on Chris Walker. And uh, that's a real, that's, that's another way that you can repurpose your podcast content on LinkedIn. And those, those decks get really good engagement. So micro videos and LinkedIn totally. um, and, and LinkedIn decks, I would say are the two biggest opportunities right now. It's interesting that you mentioned this questions because I mean, effectively they are similar to what Tim Ferriss is asking, but he, uh, they are angled at the business. And yeah. they're very non non standard, which kind of which is great because it does bring you that different perspective. Yeah. Uh, with regards it, it just, to that's, it yeah. sets people up. It sets people up to say something different. And and I think that we as interviewers, it the responsibility is on us to extract the best content out of our guest. And, and so I think using some of this, using some frameworks like that, getting people to a place of saying something that is not common or it's not what everybody else is saying. And you can phrase your question in such a way where, uh, where you can actually elicit those kind of responses and the content ends up being way better. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you also end up, uh, I think, like you said, lifting people up and you're like going after Oprah style. Yeah. Uh, if, if you end up doing yeah. that volume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shining the spotlight on other people, allowing them to share their unique perspective. Um, and, and a lot of this you can figure out during the pre-interview process. So if you want to ask those questions in the pre-interview process when you're not recording and then figure out like, okay, you ask those three questions that I just said, like what's, what's a commonly held belief in your mm -hmm. space that you just passionately disagree with, or what's something people should start doing that they're not doing now, or what should they stop doing that they are doing, but shouldn't be. You ask those three questions, they're going to give you three different responses. You can then look at those responses and say, what, what of those is the most differentiated or what have we not spoken to on our show yet? Let's right. do an entire episode on that one response. 
And now you've got really granular content. So oh, you took that. a 15 minute pre-interview where you got to build a lot of relational equity with your guest, which is mm -hmm. something I talk about a lot, like using the content collaboration process as a way to actually build friendships with people because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. So yep. use that pre-interview strategically ask, ask those what we call POV discovery questions. And then once you have a point of view for your guest, now you can just pair that and build an episode around that using what we call it the what, why, how framework. But mm -hmm. it's basically saying like, what is it? What is your point of view? Why, why do you believe that? And why, or why are people doing it wrong? Or, you know, what, what and then yeah. the third one is how do you implement this and there's there's different questions for each of those in the what why how framework but that's the basic idea here is like figure out what their point of view is and then build an episode around it so that they sound really smart yeah no it's it's uh it's really interesting you know you ask these great questions and then uh by the end of the interview people are so excited because they end up uh it's like a feed it's like a therapy session for them yes besides the fact that they like to talk about themselves which everybody does you're exactly right. We've, we've found that it's, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like natural human behavior. Who doesn't want it to, I, I love talking. I like you more now because you're letting me talk on your show. And, uh, and so we, we, we advocate for it all day, every day. And, right. and it's, it's fun to be talking to somebody that gets it. Don't fight. Absolutely. So, so with LinkedIn, uh, I know you, you, you did a little bit of, uh, you, you know, Chris Walker, of course, um, yep. he's, he's the LinkedIn beast. Now he's getting like hundred thousands of views. So his, his typical play is uh, short form videos. Like you mentioned, he does also audio clips and sometimes he does text posts, uh, yeah. pure text posts. And sometimes he does text and video, which is smart because it also hits two types of people who don't want to listen or who want to yeah. just read. Um, what do you, uh, like in terms of if you're helping a brand to run a podcast, are you also helping them repurposing all that content on LinkedIn? Yeah. So it depends on kind of what level of service that they're working with us on, but yeah, we do a lot of that repurposing content for them. Um, and so we're, we're getting to see kind of how, how things are working in different right. industries. And, um, honestly, man, like so much of, I was even, I was talking to Chris Walker about this. We had him on the show a few months ago. And he was saying that so much of the engagement that he gets comes from the text part of the posts, even on his videos and even on his audiograms. If you are not being thoughtful about what you're putting in the text above that clip, you're, you, it's going to limit your engagement. And so sometimes we get short and, and cute with the captions above like the text post that goes above the video. Right. But most of the time we're trying to figure out like, how can we add additional value to this content? So you can watch, Gary Vee does this really well too. You can yeah. watch his videos, but when you read the text above the video, you're getting additional value. It's not just regurgitating the same thing that was said in the video, which is obviously way easier to do, right? Like yeah. it's much, it takes much less work to just regurgitate what's in the video up up top but if you can make it really two pieces of content that are related um it it we've seen that it performs way better yeah no absolutely so those, those little subtle things when they come together they're like oh how did that happen well yeah. there's there's a lot of science behind that yep. what about um like what i found with linkedin is that 
if you push content, that's great. Um, I mean, it performs, some, some of it performs well, some of it doesn't perform well, but if let's say you are helping a certain company and you are either helping a, a person from that company or a company page, uh, if they have a limited number of connections, even if you tag the right people, sometimes that post gets pretty limited engagement. Uh, what I found is after, if you actually get to engage with their community, uh, start connecting with people who like other people's posts uh, mm -hmm. in the same industry, that gets a massive, massive boost to yeah. you and to your content you share. I, I'm, I'm curious, are you doing that type of stuff as well? Or are you mostly focused on just the content sharing piece? No, so so we're doing a lot of engagement groups on LinkedIn. And so engagement groups are essentially, they're like uh, group chats. So it's in the messaging part of LinkedIn. So they aren't groups. Groups on LinkedIn, I think, are pretty dead. I don't pretty know why dead, LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why LinkedIn hasn't done more with them. I would love to be more involved in LinkedIn groups, but for whatever reason, LinkedIn is just not paying, paying a lot of attention to that part of their product. Mm -hmm. But in the messages part of LinkedIn, you can send messages to multiple people. And so we've actually curated a lot of different, what we call engagement groups. And essentially what the entire chat is, is folks sharing links to the content that they're creating on LinkedIn. And it, it opens up discussion. So I go into my engagement groups and I see like, okay, these are what my friends and people that I value are, mm -hmm. are putting out on LinkedIn. I'll click the link, I'll go and, and I'll give it a like, and I'll, if I've got something thoughtful to add, I'll add a comment. And by being in a lot of those groups and by putting our customers in those groups, what it's doing is it's, it's forcing the activity right. that LinkedIn wants you to have, which is you, you can't just be spitting out content. You need to be actively engaging with other people's content as well. And, and so there's this dual benefit. If you're in these engagement groups, you have lots of opportunity to engage with other people's content. And every time you engage with somebody's post, so say if I, if I engage on your post, yeah, it's like I wrote a mini post because it shows up in my connections feeds. And it says, James Carberry just commented on mm -hmm. Sergey Ross's uh, post. Right. And so my connections see your post. So it's good for you that I commented on your post, but it's also good for me because it's giving, it's giving my profile exposure to my network without me having to go and write my own post. Yeah. And so there's this dual benefit that commenting on other people's posts gives. It gives you something and it gives the person whose content you're commenting on something. And so by being in these groups, you're allowing, right. you're commenting on their stuff, they're commenting on your stuff. And it can feel a little bit like an echo chamber, mm -hmm. um, but you, you would just be shocked at how many people are seeing your content that are never saying anything. And so by doing that, by actively engaging in other people's content, um, you're, you, you'll never know the, the true, like it's, I, I almost every week I'm hearing somebody like, oh man, I've been loving your stuff on LinkedIn. And I'm like, man, why don't you comment on me? Like, I don't even, even know you were, you were on LinkedIn. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so if, if I hope that answers your question because I LinkedIn engagement are, are something that we are super passionate about. And, uh, and we've seen our customers expand the reach of their content on LinkedIn significantly by being a part of them. But you can't, you can't just mm -hmm. go and post links to your stuff and not expect to engage with other people's stuff. Like the, the, if you don't engage with other people's content, they're not going to, you're, there's not a lot of incentive for them to engage with yours in return. And so, um, and, and so it's, it, it can, it can feel a little bit like tit for tat, but, 
what it does is it lets you flex your, you, you need to be engaging on the platform. And you, uh, and the, and when you're around other people that are creating content, um, why not make it easier for yourself by bucketing those people into a group chat and say, hey, whenever you post something, put it in this group chat and let's all engage with one another stuff. It's just, it's making it easier and it's for, it's, it's helping facilitate a behavior that the platform actually wants from you. It wants its users right. engaged. It's it's honestly it's exactly it's a carbon copy of uh, folks who di did on Instagram uh, back in the yeah. day. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember I was uh, in a couple of those groups with my friends, and it was funny because we would even fight sometimes. Oh, you didn't like my stuff? I yep. liked yours. <laughs> yep. But it's it's a it's essential similarly concept a similar concept except here you actually go a little bit deeper where you actually leave a meaningful comment versus just hit a yep. like. Yep, exactly. And and sometimes if I don't have anything to add. Um, I'll, I'll just like it. And sometimes if it's a post that I'm like, man, I don't really like that. I won't, I won't like it either. So in the engagement groups that we put together, we make sure to tell people, Hey, there is no requirement for you to engage with any of the content. Some people try to set rules. Like you have to engage with every post here. And I just think that's stupid. Um, yeah. you, you're not going to force people to engage with your stuff. It's just going to ostracize them from wanting to be a part of the group at all. If they feel like they're being forced to right. engage with stuff. But most of the people that I invite into these groups, I'm inviting them because I already think they're a great creator on the platform. And so more often than not, I'm going to want to engage with their stuff anyway, or I wouldn't have invited them to be a part of it in the first place. Definitely. Definitely. Do you, uh, James, do you categorize them by groups, uh, by industry or by certain criteria, or do you just start with like inviting cool people that um, have certain similar interests? Yeah, it used to be kind of all over the place for me. And real recently in the last month and a half, maybe we've started putting together groups that are focused on uh, people that are putting out marketing content. And the reason for that for our business, it's very strategic because we sell to marketers. So right. I've got a list of maybe, I don't know, 75 or 100 marketing creators on my phone. And I go through and I'll, I'll try to bucket them into 10 or 15 people at a time. And I'll reach out and say, hey, I'm putting together an engagement group. Do you want to be a part of it? But that list has taken me a long time to develop because I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout mm -hmm. for people that are creating great content on the platform. And then I add them to my list and eventually get them into an engagement group. Some people want to be a part of them. Some people don't. Uh, just kind of depends that these groups in the past, they can be really slimy and sleazy and and so some people just have a bad taste in their mouth. They don't want to do it. But most of the time people are like, oh, I've never done this before. Um, I get, I've noticed that they can have a bit of a, once they go on for a few months, they can have some diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. um, some folks either burn out and they're not creating content as much as they used to. So if you're not, right. if you're not seeing the benefit of engagement on your content, you're likely not going to engage with others. Um, but, uh, but they still, I, I have not found a better tactic for getting more reach on LinkedIn than engagement groups. Totally. I, I remember uh, three years ago, 2017, David Council and Dave Gerhardt were doing it. Yep. They, yeah, they were like, they, it was still so old though. Like it was, yeah, we uh, were, we were producing their podcast. I think it was back, back then it might've been it was 2018. Seeking, seeking wisdom. Yeah. And uh, think... uh, we were producing their podcast and advocating like, Hey, you need to start an engagement group with your team. Um, I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but I, mm -hmm. I know that for a season they were, we, we have an internal engagement group just for our, for our team. So anytime someone from our team posts, they put it in that, in that group. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, it just works. Um, 
And, uh, and, and I think it, again, I go back to the fact that I think it fosters an activity that you need to be doing anyway. You need right. to be engaging on other people's com uh, content. Yeah. One, because it's going to help you learn, like as a creator on the platform, what are other people doing that's working? Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a way, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fun way to build deeper relationships with people. Yeah, I mean, you have to listen to what others yeah. are saying, not just like post and leave, not yep. like buffer buffer your way into. Oh and, and there's, I'm so glad that the people that just load links in the buffer, like their content's not getting any reach because they're not, the, the amount of reach that you get is directly correlated to the amount of effort that you're willing to put in. And when you just load a bunch of links in the buffer, I used to do that. That was my strategy yeah. like three or four Great. years ago. Great. And I got zero reach on the platform. Now I started, I've, I've been, I'm now investing a lot of time in creating content and, and engaging with other people's content. And because of that, we're now getting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views on the platform and seeing right. results. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, why would people stick around on LinkedIn? Like, they would not be on the platform if they pull up a, a feed and they see a bunch of garbage, one like links, uh, links exactly, yep. right? Exactly. And why would LinkedIn want to showcase content that pushes people off of their platform? It just doesn't make sense. No, it's, it's, not, it's not how any social platform yeah. works. Exactly. <laughs> um, James, let's, let's talk about your bread and butter podcasts. Um, I mean, I know that a lot of companies are sold on the idea of the fact that they need to do some sort of a show. They need to create a uh, relationship. They need to create high quality content with B2B influencers in the area, whether it's prospects, whether it's folks who are aligned to prospects. I, I know a lot of them know that. Uh, what I find is difficult is production. Like, let's yeah. say you can, you know, the topic, you know, the list of folks you want to reach out to. And I think, like you said, I also see the same, same thing, like 80%, 90% of people agree to be on the show. And that's great if it's positioned correctly, if the name is correct, but like, then we start the hard part, like the interview is easy. Uh, and then, and then you have so many different options on the production. Uh, you could do it in a simple way, or you could do it the Zendesk way, which probably yeah, you would say you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so, so, so talk to me about this approaches like uh, bare bones production or uh, all the way to some super fancy approach where um, you are so you're actually able to create a show that is sustainable yeah so i'm obviously biased here i'll just get that out of the way we we don't do long form narrative style podcasts like what zendesk's um uh, repeat customer was. There's a lot of podcasts that are popping up like that. Um, the downside, uh, one, I'll just start by saying I love those shows. Those shows mm -hmm. are super, uh, super to listen to, right? Like they're, they're really engaging. I can't wait for the next episode. Awesome. The problem with investing 30 to $35,000 an episode to do a show like that is that it's not sustainable. And so you can do it for maybe six months, eight months, but you're going to need to see a really significant return on that investment of three or $400,000 to keep, keep going with the show that has that level of production quality. And when you're, if you're not using your show to do what we call content-based networking, I wrote an entire book about it. If you're not using your show to interview your ideal clients, then you're not going to see short-term ROI from your podcast. The only way to see short-term ROI from your podcast, in my opinion, is by interviewing people that can actually do business with you, build a friendship with them through the content collaboration totally. process, and then 
work end up working with them because they now know like and trust you because you did a great interview and you you maintained uh right. connection with them after the interview was over and now they're like oh we actually need what you do oh sweet like let's work together that's yeah. how i've built sweetfish i mean we, we're now a seven figure business on the back of this strategy so i know it works but when you're doing narrative podcasts it's more brand building and top of funnel awareness that that can work but i can I've, I've, I've yet to find a show that has that level of production quality that has been able to sustain consistent production of the show, uh, even on a weekly basis. And I honestly think companies should be trying to shoot for daily shows um, because, because of how, I mean, I just think the more content you can put out, uh, the more opportunities you have to educate and be a helpful resource for your ideal buyer. And if you're only doing a bi-weekly show you know, you've got two shots a month at being that helpful resource to your, yeah. to your buyer where we're doing two or three episodes a day now. And mm -hmm. so now we've got multiple opportunities or at bats every single day to be a helpful resource for our customers and potential customers, as opposed to folks that are only doing a monthly or, or a, a buy, you know, bi-monthly, bi-weekly podcast. So um, anyway, I could rant on yeah. this stuff all day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we think about it there. So, so I am very biased in that I don't think high production quality is the direction that you should go there. Um, I think, I think you could go bare bones. I, I mean, I'm, I'll shoot myself in the foot here. I, I honestly think a lot of companies could, could do this on a very shoestring budget. I, you know, we work with folks that are kind of in the middle. We're much cheaper than 30. Yeah. I don't want to say cheaper. We're much uh, more affordable than 30 to right. $35,000 an episode, but uh, we're also more expensive than you just figuring out how to do it on anchor with your mic. And like there, there are, you know, there's a wide variety of ranges. We kind of sit right there in the, we work with a lot of mid-market companies that aren't going to spend 30 to 35 grand an episode, but they also want it to be, you know, a little bit more professional mm -hmm. and they want to tap into some of the strategic insights that we can add on the back end through kind of how we consult through the launch process and all that stuff. So, um, so anyway, all that to say, I don't want price to scare anybody away from this medium because even if you have zero dollars for something like this, I still think yeah. every B2B company on the planet should do it. Um, even, even if it's your, you know, your own sweat and you're just figuring out how to do it yourself using a free hosting platform like anchor. Right. But I mean, let's say if we are doing one interview a day and I think that's, that's a, that's an aggressive, aggressive cadence and it's great. Um, what would be a format of an interview that you could just on average, what would you could do? Let's say, would it be 20 minutes? Would it be 40 minutes? Um, what, what would, what would be your, what would, what would you see that's effective? Ours was 12 to 20. And so we, we go a little bit off of that now, but I mean, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, we had a 12 to 20 minute framework. A lot of our listeners actually like that shorter episode. Um, and then the, the other way that I think you can get to an interview every single day is by opening it up to where you have multiple co-hosts. So when I start telling people that they should be trying to shoot for a daily show, they look at me like I have six eyeballs and I'm like, wait a minute, don't, don't think that that one episode a day is contingent on just one host. I think you should actually have multiple people within your company co-hosting the show and people outside of your company. So if you can partner with influencers and different, different people that 
maybe don't have a show, but you know they should because they've got a lot of quality content. They've built up an audience. Maybe they have a good size email list. Say, hey, we've got this show. Would you would you like to do you know a monthly episode for our show? And when we ask people to do that, they're more than happy to because it gives them added distribution for their content and it gives us more content. And so whether we're selling sponsorships on that content or again, we're just trying to be the most helpful educational resource for our ideal buyers, we know that they've got good stuff to say. We've got an audience that wants to right. hear it. So we can stay top of mind with our buyers without us having to take on the time of doing all these interviews. So we've got like 19 different series within B2B growth. We've got a series on category creation. We've got a series on customer experience. We've got a series, a series for agencies. We've got a series for CEOs, we've got a series called the, the revenue series. And so we've got all kinds of people mm -hmm. co-hosting series on B2B growth. And because of that, we're putting out two or three episodes a day and we're getting over 150,000 downloads a month. So we're seeing firsthand that this stuff works. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a, such a great way. And I, I haven't thought of that approach, but that that's that sounds really, really cool. Very streamlined way. What do you do? Let's say if you're producing one episode a day, um, obviously, you're going to push it out to all the platforms that your post uh, the podcast is hosted on. What about I mean, you can do a daily LinkedIn push, that's fine. Uh, what about like email list or um, other channels where you shouldn't be like, you wouldn't want to hit that list every day? Do you just uh, stack them? Yeah, so we did, uh, we did for a while, uh, we stopped doing it um, because the guy that was writing it for us is no longer on our team, um, but he was doing a phenomenal job. We called it the B2B Growth Big Three. And mm -hmm. so once a week, we were sending out an email with our three biggest takeaways from the podcast, from a week's worth of podcasts. Some, some weeks it was, you know, seven episodes, some it was nine to 10 episodes, depending on how many episodes we would do in a current day or in a, in a given week. Right. Um, but that, that worked really, really well. Um, again, the guy that was writing that for the writer that, that took that on, stopped doing it. And we just haven't gone back to that. So email is one of those channels that I feel like we've got a lot of room to grow in. We're not repurposing content well enough on LinkedIn or, or I'm sorry, well yeah. enough on email. Um, but that's one, that's one way to do it that we've done it in the past. And you do as and and let's say this twelve to twenty minute interview that would be that would be an interview. This is not a uh, one person, right? You would yep, have correct. somebody as a guest. Yep, yep. We do. We also do solo episodes, but the bulk of our interviews or the bulk of our episodes are our interviews, one to one mm -hmm. interviews. How do you determine the topic? Um, I think you you had a tip that you said, you, which is great. You said, oh, look, look, if this is your potential prospect or your potential buyer, we're going to reach out to them if they are a decision maker, for example, and we're going to ask them, oh, what's your, uh, what is the, like the three things you want to talk about yeah. in this industry? And then they will talk about it. Uh, genius. What about, uh, I mean, that's great. Um, have you tried other approaches that, to, to say, oh, like we really want to talk about this topic. Yeah. So, so for a long time, we rode the coattails of what I'm about to share for many, many years. We've only recently developed the, what we call the POV discovery process, which are those three questions that elicit pretty good responses. And any one of those responses, you can build an episode around their, mm. their idea there. But for the longest time, we would look at folks that were speaking at conferences or that had been a guest on another podcast, or they'd written some content on LinkedIn or their company's blog. And we would go and we would say, Hey, what if we did an episode about this piece of content that you've already created? So that, that was a good one. 
And then another even more simple, you know, because a lot of people don't aren't creating a lot of content, we would go to them and say, you know, hey, the, the show covers X, Y, and Z types of topics. Is there anything in any one of those topics that you feel like you would want to share with our audience? And we just let them come up with what the topic is. I mean, we did that for hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Mm -hmm. The issue there that we found over time was that when you put the onus on them, they don't have the context. They don't know that every other guest on your show has talked about the importance of sales and marketing alignment because it is really important but they don't have the context that you have as the host of the show. And right. so what that ends up leading to is a lot of content that sounds very similar with people saying the same things. So that's why we've morphed into really trying to do a separate pre-interview for every interview that we do. So instead of just doing like five minute pre-interview right before we hit record, we actually set up a second call. So we say, hey, it's 15 minute call. We'll ask you a couple questions to figure out like what the topic for your episode is gonna be that those are the POV discovery questions that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Once you get answers to those questions, you as the host can go, okay, of those three responses, what would be the most compelling for our listeners? And then you can go and build some, some interview questions. Again, going back to the, the what, why, how framework, you can, you can come up with five to six questions to get them to elaborate on one of the ideas that they shared during the pre-interview. And, uh, and that's a really going to be a really solid framework. So whether you're doing a daily episode or right. just weekly, um, I, I think that framework of doing a standalone interview with them, the, uh, or a standalone pre-interview with them, and then going, it, it makes them feel more comfortable. It makes them feel like, okay, like I, I know what I'm going to talk about going into this and it positions you more as a journalist. And the more that these people can see you as a journalist that truly cares about the content that you're creating with them, the deeper the friendship is going to be with those, with those people, the deeper the relationship is going to be and the more trust there's going to be there. So the end result of like, Hey, if there's an opportunity for us to work together, we should work together at the end of the, you know, when, when you get to the end of the process, um, that the, the likelihood of that happening goes way up. If you really are kind of a connoisseur of creating really great content with them. That might sound simple, but it's genius, actually, I think, because I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking to all, all other interviews that I did. And I think, wow, like if I if I would if I did that more, I did it a few times. But if I did it more like we would have way better conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it, again, it goes back to like the more time you put into something, the better the result is going to be. And so the folks that phone it in on LinkedIn and they just post links in Buffer, they're not going to see great results. And it's the same way with, with podcast interviews. The more effort you put in to craft a really good conversation, the better the content's going to be. And ultimately, the better the guest is going to feel about right. the content if you put in that work. And it's not a lot of extra work. It's, an, it's a 15-minute phone call. Yeah, it totally is. What about, uh, I was curious to, to hear your thoughts because I have struggled with this uh, a couple of times and would be curious to hear your perspective. When you are selecting a guest, um, let's say you, sometimes it's hard to know how deep a person can go into a topic. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they are sort of sound like an expert, but then you find out they're actually not. They don't really yeah. know. They really don't. They like they give you a surface level answer, which is like, "Oh, we follow best practices," and you're like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then it's just hard. Like sometimes you just don't know. Would you say 
do you just, if you can't find any validation, if they haven't done any shows before, they didn't do much YouTube content, would yeah. a phone call be better or do you just drop them and look for somebody else? No, so I, I think you can probably assess that in the pre-interview. So if you're doing those standalone calls and they're 15 minute calls and you ask those three POV discovery questions, you're gonna get you're gonna get something. They might not have a good answer for all three of them, but you're gonna get, likely you're gonna get something. And if the thing that you get is pretty weak, um, you can one, you can say like, Hey, let me think about this. I want to try, you know, I want to try to put together the best, you know, the best episode we can. Let me think about this and I'll get, I'll get back to you on putting an episode right. together, uh, with you on this. You think about it. If you're like, man, the, the, their content was just really weak. Um, then you just, you can ping them and, and just say, Hey, the, the more I thought about it, you know, I, I don't think we had a compelling enough angle for this. Um, is there anything else that you think you know, we could, we could do here and go that angle, or if it's mm -hmm. a relationship that you really want, because quite frankly, there are a lot of people we've interviewed on B2B growth. They haven't had the greatest content, but there's still relationships that we want to build because they're potential customers or potential referral partners. It's not, it, it doesn't hurt to have great relationships right. um, with a wide variety of people, whether they're, whether they have a lot of good content in their head or not. And, and so you can ask if there are other people on their team that would be interested in the show that maybe do have right. a different perspective or something deeper to say, or, um, you just do a short interview. And I, I yeah. know that yeah. that's, you know, that, that's, that's something that, you know, if you go back to the early days of B2B growth, you can see like when I'm doing an interview and it's only seven minutes, it's because I just couldn't get a lot out of the guest. Part of it was I didn't have the experience as an interviewer to know the kind of questions that can elicit really great responses from basically anybody. Yes. Um, but I really do think, man, asking that question, like right. what is a commonly held belief in your industry or related to your expertise that you just passionately disagree with? Everybody, whether they're a, whether they're a thought leader or whether they've created a ton of content or not, everybody has something that they're like, man, everybody believes this, but I think this, like, oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's baffling. When you start asking that question, you'll figure it out. Like, oh man, like people really have an opinion. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely adding it to, to my roaster. Yeah. What was it like to hang out with Gary V? Oh man, that guy is so freaking genuine. Um, I, he is like my entrepreneurial idol. Um, mm -hmm. and I was, I was on honestly nervous getting to interview him a few years ago. And I was like, man, I just really don't want him to be a dickhead because <laughs> I look up to this guy so much. And if he's a dick, it's just really gonna suck. And he was just so thoughtful. He was so zoned in. Like we had it, we were in that we were, we had an hour blocked with him. Mm -hmm. And so my mm -hmm. buddy, Jeremy, got to do an interview with him for about 45 minutes and I got to do an interview with him for about 15 minutes. And he was just so focused on us. So engaged. He, you know, you know that his phone was buzzing 8 million times during that hour. He didn't look at his phone. He was just completely focused on us and trying to deliver as much value as he could in the hour that he had with us. And so my experience was that he is incredibly genuine and, um, and incredibly thoughtful as well. So I had a great experience with him. Yeah, he's really cool. I mean, it blows my mind, to be honest, to see how much value he actually has in the content. Uh, yeah. And if you actually, people actually listen to it and apply it, it's insane. Yeah, it really is. Like, I mean, I, I credit his content to, to 
the lion's share of the success that we've had in the business. I mean, I've got, you see these posters back here, the clouds yeah. in the dirt, this positivity always wins thing up here. Like, I mean, basically at a shrine in my office to Gary V. I've got all of his books right up there. So oh, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I cannot say enough good things about the impact that that man has had on my life. Um, because I, there's no, I would not have been able to build the business that I've been able to build without his influence. No, absolutely. He's, he's a, such an inspiration. Uh, totally. Um, you uh, mentioned something that really caught my attention. You were talking to Gitano, uh, yep. from Nextiva, the, the guy who, uh, does, uh, Chris, what like does demand gen live with Chris Walker now last year. And you mentioned something about the, like your purpose, where like, are you spending the time helping B2B businesses build podcasts and whether it's the right, like whether it's the right thing to do from the you know, from the impact perspective. So like, yeah. you're, I'm not, you're not saving lives. And I thought yeah. like, this is really interesting because I, I think about that a, a lot too. Um, has your perspective changed right now or what's, what are your thoughts at the moment? Yeah, so it's really interesting. This is a really good question. Um, it's, it's something I've continued to think a lot about and uh, I am super, I, I'm a Christ follower, so I'm a Christian and i am a huge advocate for adoption i think the orphan crisis is real i think way too many kids are growing up uh in the foster care system which here in the states is um it's just it's i don't know that i've ever talked to anybody that had mm -hmm. a good thing to say about being raised in the foster care system there are a lot of well-meaning uh families that want to be foster care uh hosts but the system itself i think is very broken um mm -hmm. and uh it does not produce a good outcome and so i've i've become very passionate about adoption and uh particularly really empowering the the body of believers of, of christians to adopt and to bring children into their home and so i want to fund a million adoptions by the end of my lifetime and so i've been doing a lot of thinking i was actually just talking to our creative director yesterday um, we are starting an organization a nonprofit called the adoption fund and uh, we're in true Sweetfish style. We're starting a media property tied to that called Young Married Christian. And so we're starting to make some, uh, starting to make some progress on mm -hmm. developing what, what really, from a purpose perspective, I feel like God's put me on the planet to do, right. which is fund these adoptions. And the way I look at my business is my business is my way of funding and making that reality happen. So I don't expect to fund a million adoptions with my own money or with just yeah. the business. We want to build something where we're basically crowdsourcing and we're going to have lots and lots of people paying 10, 20, 30 bucks a month to help us fund uh, all of these adoptions. But uh, but that's that's really where my purpose is at right now and what I'm, what I'm focused on. Um, so I know that I, I need to balance the focus on the business, the thing that's going to allow me to live a very, you know, live generously right. and, um, and, and fuel the work that I want to do outside of the business as well. Um, and that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. It's build the business 
Uh, but I don't need to wait because you can, I can all, you can always put it off, right? Like I yeah. put it off for years and said like, Oh, I got to focus on the business. I got to focus on the business. I got to focus on the business. And I finally this year just said, you know what, it, I, I'm going to continue to focus on the business, but I've got to start taking steps toward what I truly feel like God's calling me to. And that's funding a whole bunch yeah. of adoptions. And uh, if I look up in 30 years and I still haven't done it because I'm still focused on growing the business, uh, I, I just don't want that to be my story. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really profound. James, is there anything uh, I have missed uh, in the conversation you'd like to add? Uh, any final <clears throat> messages to the audience? Man, Sergey, you you mentioned something earlier that I I don't. You said something really really uh, smart and strategic that I don't want to gloss over. You talked about the importance of naming your show, and that is honestly the biggest mistake that we see B2B companies making, they try to name their show after their company name, uh, after one of their core values, uh, after a marketing tagline. And when you have a show name that's cute and fancy, one, people aren't searching for that on uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever they're listening to podcasts. So you're missing out on a massive channel because people aren't searching for your tagline or your company name whenever they're looking for podcasts they're looking for their industry or you know the the, the a specific problem that they're trying a key, to oh, a certain solve. keyboard potential right yeah exactly so so being more strategic with your show name uh and and then also it's not authoritative when you get cute and fancy with your show name it doesn't communicate any sort of authority so we've got a show called the manufacturing show well that show has a lot of authority just because of its name and it's got a good piece of podcast cover art. And so be thinking through the, in terms of authority and, and being clear, concise, and optimizing that name for search. People are searching manufacturing in right. podcast players. They're going to find us. There's, the reason B2B growth has grown to have the audience that we have today is because we rank for the keyword B2B and B2B marketing inside of Apple Podcasts. That's a huge channel for growth, for audience growth when it comes to your podcast uh, because obviously people are are yeah. going to these players they're going to spotify they're going to apple podcasts they're going to google podcasts and they're searching for the sh types of shows that they want to look for your show should pop up there but yeah. when you get cute and fancy and you name it after one of your values or your company name you're just not you're not going to show up where searchers are looking for you to show up and you're going to miss out on an opportunity to to help those people and ultimately win business as somebody who uh, named my first show after my first name and last name, I can say this is huge. <laughs> yes. yes. It's a, such a big point. Yep. I, I, we see it all the time, man. We've got a slide deck that we now send to all of our new customers ahead of the call that we do with them to figure out the name of their show. And we taught, you know, don't, na don't, don't name it after your personal brand. Don't name it after a marketing tagline don't name it after one of your core values and definitely don't name it after your company name <laughs> and still you know right we see yeah. folks still continuing to do that there's a lot and, of ego uh, there's a lot of yeah. ego always a lot of always. ego a lot of james, ego. james where's everybody can uh, find you online yeah so linkedin james carberry c-a-r-b-a-r-y my email is james at sweetfishmedia.com if anybody wants to reach out i love jamming on this stuff um and uh happy to talk to anybody and everybody well, we'll link it in the show notes so everybody can go check out the awesome stuff you're doing. But James, it was awesome to talk to you. Thank you for coming. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot, Sergey. This has been fun. Really appreciate it. All right. So by now, everybody who's listening to this interview has have to go out and start their own show because you should know just about everything that you need to know to do so. And if you don't, then you should grab James's book about podcasts, and I'll have a link in the show notes. I actually bought it right after the interview, and、uh, it's really, really great. I'm reading it right now.、Um, and go check out what、uh, James is doing on his website、uh, at his company and uh, uh, his podcast because they have amazing guests. They have a lot of hosts. And they're pushing a lot, a lot of content,、uh, and doing a lot of experiments. If you are thinking of how can I make my podcast better, they are folks who experiment and eat their own dog food,、uh, which is important.、Uh, I will be sharing highlights on LinkedIn for this episode, as always. If you're not following me on LinkedIn,、uh, please do so, and you'll see some of the cool things that you might have missed.、Uh, thanks again for listening, and I will see you in episode number sixty-seven. Cheers. Oh, oh, oh.